Hi, and welcome back to Thoughts on Therapy. I'm Caleb Matthews. And I'm Lauren Spaulding, and we have a special episode today, our first interview. Yay! Woo! We are joined today by Jamie Lynn Beulah, who is a local sex therapist in Austin, Texas with us. We all went to school together. We've grown up as therapists together, and it's been lovely. And Jamie Lynn works mostly with couples around sex therapy and relationship therapy. She works with the LGBT community and the kink community as well. Anything you'd add to that, Jamie Lynn? I would also add that I have some online content for free because I love this job and I cannot see enough people. So I started recording things online. And so there's a bunch of videos on YouTube that you can check out and get some information from. They're really directed for clients, but there's lots of juicy, wonderful information there. Yeah. So if you want to be a client of Jamie Lynn's after this, her calendar is full, but she offers amazing free content. And she also has amazing stuff that will come out in the future that we'll talk about more at the end. And we'll have the links to that in the uh, message at the bottom of this episode. So if you're looking for where to get involved, look for practice intimacy in the links at the bottom. Yes, I love the name of your business or your practice. It's called Practice Intimacy, which mm, is just you. such such a lovely like call to action for people that work with you. Yes. It speaks about all of your values around mental health and how relationship impacts mental health. So oh, thank yes. you so much for being with us. I'm so happy to be here. And I loved when you introduced us that we, we've grown up as therapists together because that feels so true. We've known <laughs> each other for a very long time now and it's great. <laughs> yes, we were at once all young and dumb therapists together. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got some juicy questions for Jamie Lynn and we will go ahead and dive right in. Um, I spoke a little bit about this, but do you want to expand more on what you specialize in and what you do with clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I I do tend to work mainly with those in relationships. Most of the time it's couples, sometimes it's poly families. And either on just relational health issues, because that's a big part of what I have always studied and been interested in is just relationships in general. And then also sexuality and underneath all of that, like trauma recovery. So most of my training early on was trauma recovery work. And that's been like woven into the rest of the work I do. But right now, my favorite clients are those who come in where either one partner has had a trauma experience and they want to come into a place where they feel turned on sexually and want to like step into their pleasure experience, but they cannot do it because of trauma. And so those are my favorites. And then the other clients that I love would be just people who want more pleasure in their life, but they've grown up in this culture where we have so much sexual shame and we have so many ideas of what sex is supposed to look like and just helping them navigate what sex looks like for you because it will be different from anyone else. I love that. That's my favorite work at the moment. I love that. That's so needed. And it's so in line with like our generation and generations after us who are really unpacking 
just toxic messages we grew up with and kind of accepted as normal. And we're realizing more and more that there's no such thing as normal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I have learned already so much from you, Jamie Lynn, just in like, not necessarily in today's podcast, but in all of my time knowing you, I grew up, um, so a little self-disclosure, I grew up going to Catholic school um, mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas. So notoriously already... healthy sex education. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like sex education for me was, we did a like half day retreat every year throughout high school. And mm-hmm. one of the four years focused on sex. Oh my so God. Not even once a year did we talk about this and not even for a full day. So right. Uh, yeah, the sex education that I had to learn, uh, not only whenever I went off to college, but also whenever I went off to graduate school was immense. And thank you so much for helping me navigate that. uh, (laughs) I love hearing you say that. I also went to a public school in Texas and I swear the thing that they did was just show us pictures of like really out of hand STIs, STDs, ones that have never been treated. And so they've gotten to a place that most people would never, ever experience because we can seek treatment. And so they show you all these horror photos and they say like, don't have sex. Yeah. Okay. Teenager with tons of hormones, like have fun navigating that. Yes. The thing that I took away, the only thing I remember about the whole day, well, the half day that we (laughs) talked about sex was they had people go up on stage and they had these white cards and they would spray the white cards with this spray and like based off of the ratios for how often of like, let's say this ratio is completely made up, but like one in eight people will get gonorrhea. And so there would be eight people on the stage and then they would walk down the line and they'd spray the first person, spray the second, spray the third and their card would go like vibrant pink. And they'd be like, look, this person has gonorrhea now. And then oh they just god. leave the stage and they did that for like disease after disease. Oh my god. And I was just like, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's horrifying. That it teaches you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I it's mean, all very re- fear-based. Very it's about scaring you into not having sex, which is really impossible for so many of us because your hormones are going crazy. Our bodies are like all I can think about is sex and I don't know how to do it safely. I don't know how to protect myself. And then you take that into adulthood whenever suddenly the world is saying like, you're old enough to do it now, but I still don't know how, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the Christian purity culture of the early two thousands. I'm sure it's still happening, but uh, the idea of when one person's whole concept was keep your duct tape sticky and every oh, time God. you stick duct tape it loses adhesive and then your husband ends up with tape that doesn't work like literally oh, you're you're God. broken um but yeah just the whole idea of like it's bad you don't need to know anything about it but the second you get married you better have a freaking kid is wild right absolutely <laughs> all your shame should go away <laughs> The second yeah. that rings on your finger and 
that's not always what happens. And Mm-mm. also it's just so problematic. So thank you for doing the Lord's work and being a sex <laughs> therapist. Yes, thank you very much. I'm sure of all the stuff that we've said so far, we could probably unpack it for the rest of this podcast, but uh, <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> so, so can you tell us what happens during sex therapy? Like what a typical session might look like? Ah, uh, yes. Okay, this is a fun question because people always have like, thoughts about what is this going to be? This sounds scary. So sex therapy, it is almost always just conversation. There are certain times whenever I do have couples interact in a physical way, but it would be things like touching each other's hands and arms. And that is about it. Otherwise we're doing talk therapy, just like anybody else. Yeah. I feel like that is a an irrational fear or misconception people have of sex therapy is, Mm -hmm. is it actually sexual? Right. Right. And the conversations, absolutely. And I, I love to kind of blend two things whenever I'm working with clients. Uh, One side is like the education and, and blending in all the information that maybe they missed. And then the other side is like actually being playful and letting ourselves talk about things that are sexy and a little bit of a turn on and helping to come into a space where like that is an energy they can step into and really embody. Mm, yeah. But in the, in the end, it's all still talk therapy. Yeah. Hopefully that makes it a little less intimidating for people that might be out there thinking they want to try this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say are some issues commonly addressed in sex therapy or some common reasons that people would go to specifically a sex therapist versus, you know, another specialty? Right. Absolutely. So there's so many things that people come in for. I'm just going to kind of like run down a list and we can go in depth for any one of these, but infidelity, infidelity is a big one. Um, any kind of out of control sexual behavior, sometimes people call this sex addiction, desire discrepancies where one partner wants sex more often than the other. That's one of the most common things I work with in my practice. Um, Any sort of shame, like if a person has a sexual interest and it's a big turn on for them, but they feel bad about it. This is something you often find in the kink community. And other than that, I would say trauma experiences, anyone who's had sexual violation in their history will often seek out services. Anybody who has pain or any sort of dysfunction happening during their sex play, Mm. those are often things that I see in my practice as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm curious to know, can you say maybe a little bit more about like what, sex addiction you mentioned or Mm -hmm. you said some people call it sex addiction some people call it sex addiction I personally do not use that language that does not fit for me whenever I think about what's going on instead I like to think of it as out of control sexual behavior the person who coined that term his name is Doug Braun Harvey he is fantastic do look him up um and out of out of control sexual behavior is really any time that you see somebody behaving compulsively with sex Mm -hmm. and doing things that they find to be harmful in their life, whether that's like watching porn to the point of I'm no longer going to work or I struggle to make a connection with a person that I would like to be in relationship with because this takes over my life. Or if somebody is 
having sex more frequently than they want and in ways that are not safe and protective of their body. And they are finding that they're doing it compulsively and they cannot stop themselves. That would be out of control sexual behavior. Hmm. I feel like in media, it's portrayed often as like the relational piece of it. Like I'm married and I can't stop sleeping with other people. Um, or like, you know, I'm, I really want to not have an affair, but I can't resist this urge. Do you feel Mm -hmm. like that is actually a common experience of out of control sexual behavior? Or is that like a Hollywood portrayal? I, I would say that there's some truth in it, but it's definitely not everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't even go as far as to say like, that's the majority of people. But I, I do believe that you definitely see that happening where a person's in a relationship and yet at the same time they are having sex with others. Usually their spouse does not know about it. Mm-hmm. And then if they do find out and the person cannot stop, they will seek services to try and stop. And one of the reasons why I don't like the term sex addiction is because even with that phrasing, it sounds like, well, I'm addicted to it. I can't help myself. Mm -hmm. And I personally prefer language about out of control sexual behavior because in that wording alone, to me, it seems like there is more space to begin taking control. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't like the term sex addict, sex addiction. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I had never really thought about it that way, but I guess sex addiction would only be cured with like a harm reduction technique. Like you wouldn't have somebody, well, I guess there are definitely, I mean, based off of my Catholic roots, (laughs) uh, (laughs) there are definitely some people that would say abstinence is the key. Right, right. There are definitely some people who would say that. But in my mind, like sex is an integral part of being alive and some of us we don't actually want to have sex and that's perfectly normal but even if you are someone who does not have sex if you're asexual then we're still navigating pleasure and finding partnership where we can do things that bring us an alive turned on feeling Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily sexual but all of us are playing with this idea and none of us would really be here without it so it's such an important part of our life but I think we need ways to talk about it that have more ownership over like, this is part of my path in life. I have control over what happens. I have choices that I can make. And if I can work on all the shame that Mm -hmm. covers up my behavior, all of the things that I'm avoiding by having sex, then I can definitely enjoy this at some point in my life rather than just having to abstain. Yeah. I remember hearing something pretty early on in our careers as therapists, and I can't remember who it was from, but the reason that they did not like the term sex addiction was because addiction is used for substances and behaviors that are not necessarily natural. Like we're not, we don't need alcohol or drugs in our system to survive, but we do biologically have like this this need for sex which you know in the beginning of ages was to populate the earth and so like this idea of like the um to villainize a natural urge 
um, kind of like you said, takes away like any sense of empowerment with it and, and does feel hopeless because right. um, it's, it is different. You know, it's, it's not a part of us like an addiction is a part of someone after they've been exposed, mm-hmm. um, but sex is a part of us from the beginning. It's how we came to exist. And it's right. a very different experience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's still something that you're going to face every single day, or like at least that desire probably is going to show up at least daily. It's like people that talk about uh, eating disorders being an addiction, like, no, they're their own thing. Like, but Mm -hmm. it is, I think, similar to what we're talking about with sex and that like, you're going to face sex again in your lifetime probably sometime or another, or at least pleasure. I love that you brought that in so that you can bring up mm. asexuality. That's yes, such a, yeah. a good thing that I've learned from practice intimacy too, was uh, maybe focus on pleasure. Absolutely. It is my favorite thing to teach people is to focus on pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you expand on that? What you mean by pleasure outside of sex or how you mm-hmm. separate the two? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So hmm, let me think about all the ways I want to separate this. Let's first just separate the language of sex versus intercourse, because I do that in my office constantly. Mm. Most of the time, whenever people say the word sex, they mean intercourse. When in reality, sex is everything that you do that is sensual with yourself and other people, whether that is like getting dressed in a outfit that really turns you on to kissing your partner to being naked in front of your partner intentionally all the play that is involved in just like touching each other's bodies and exploring each other's bodies that is all sex and then intercourse is uh, the thing that we see most often in media and porn and it really just kind of like compresses a huge wonderful experience we can have into this one tiny thing that usually does not last very long and oftentimes it's not pleasurable for one partner because penetration is kind of like ah, for a lot of people. Mm. So, so let's just separate out those terms, intercourse versus sex. And then from there, whenever I'm thinking about pleasure, if somebody has zero experience with pleasure sexually, I actually start with things that are just sensual. Like, okay, is there anything sensual you do in your life that brings you pleasure? This could be cooking, this could be dancing, this could be uh, like working in your garden and really feeling the dirt as you're planting new plants Mm. and choosing which colors are going to be the most pleasing to you in your garden. Like all of that is pleasure experiences and it's really like a body-centered experience. And then from there, you can move towards more of the like sexual side of things what does your body actually look for? Are there certain touches you enjoy? Are there certain smells or sights that would be really, really a turn on for you? And, and always just like turning back towards this idea of like, what feels good in your body? What lights you up? What makes you feel that little tingle of aliveness that kind of runs up our whole body whenever we get turned on? I feel like talking about it gives you a tingle in your body. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt about it. (laughs) And this is 
what I mean whenever I'm talking about like, I, I share the knowledge with people, but then I also bring this like joyful, excited, turned on energy to this topic because yeah. it is hot. It's exciting and it should feel hot. I love that. My favorite thing about today's podcast already is going to be how excited you get talking about this topic. Like you can just tell how passionate you are. And I mean, that's always a good time to hear somebody talk about something they're so passionate about. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. but I'm okay. So when should somebody get a sex therapist? Like how do they know when's at time? Right. Well, I'm always in the camp of like, if you can do it, do it now. (laughs) Don't wait. The moment that you start to think to yourself like, oh, maybe I could use a little bit of help in this area. Maybe I could use some services that would either point me in the right direction of information I need to find out about my sex life or, or even just like, there's something going on in my sex life. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't feel quite how I want to feel. Like that is the time to go see someone. And it's kind of hard to catch ourselves in those moments. Usually we only decide to go see someone whenever we're in a big crisis. But Mm -hmm. if you can listen to those little whispers of like, man, it'd be nice to talk to somebody about this, somebody who knows what they're doing and who I don't have to see out in public and I'm not friends with because maybe it's an embarrassing topic for you. Like, there are tons of people out there who are wonderful sex therapists and can be really helpful. What would you say someone should be looking for in a sex therapist? Mm -hmm. A couple of things, or maybe a handful of things. (laughs) So one thing in like at the top of the list is safety. Does the person feel safe to you? Sex is one of the most intimate things we do as human beings. And it's also one of the most vulnerable and potentially harmful things we do as human beings. And so finding someone that feels safe is top priority. And if you have any kind of like instinct that this person is not right for me, I don't feel quite right here. They're not your therapist. There are plenty of others go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So safety is number one. I would say there's two things that are really important. And one is like, knowledge. They have educated themselves when they speak about sex. They sound like they know what they're talking about and uh, they continue to learn about sexuality. You can honestly like look at their bookshelves if they have books in their office and see what books are there. And also just look at what they've written on their professional pages and see if sexuality is talked about. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is comfort. So my hope is that every sex therapist out there feels really comfortable talking about this, but sometimes you meet people who are a little bit like shy and embarrassed. And and I don't find those people to be great sex therapists. They might be great at other things, but when it comes to sex, there be a little bit of shamelessness to bust out of the culture that is constantly shaming. And you gotta have a certain level of comfort to do this well. I agree with that. I saw a doctor who was just talking about like, like at my gynecologist's office, like that is specifically for (laughs) reproductive organs. Right. And she was walking me through a medicine, like a topical cream. And she's like, and you're going to put it, you know, you know, on your, 
and like oh, and like, yeah. girl, you work here. Like right. you need to be comfortable with the terms. It was right. it was very uncomfortable. And I could see if I had shame, that would invoke shame in me because yeah. I don't even have shame in a gynecological office and I'm sitting there feeling so uncomfortable. Like, do I need to finish the sentence for you? Yes, that's exactly it. Oh yeah. I can feel like gross. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, so that was just a nurse. You don't want your sex therapist being like that. No. Yeah, not at all. That's not okay. <laughs> right, right. What would you say are some red flags around looking for a sex therapist, if any? Mm. That is a good question. I. So it's funny because most sex therapists, we are sexual beings. Like, we tend to be really turned on people who love sex and love talking about sex. And I think that's wonderful and great. And there's a space even for that in the therapy office, but there is a line <laughs> where it is professional versus like, I have crossed over into, I am letting my sexuality out in a way that is potentially harmful for others. And that is not my job at all. Mm. I should only really be letting my sexuality, my turn on show in a way that is like excitement, empowering, helping another person to see some potential, but never in a way that is like about my want and desire, wanting something from the client or like wearing things that would be alluring for a client whenever you're talking to them. Like all of that feels really icky and it unfortunately does happen. So I would be on the lookout for that anytime where the therapist is being, uh, I'm not even quite sure how to say it, but like sexual in a way that feels too much or violating. Yeah. It sounds like if it feels like it's about them and not you as a client. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. That feels right. Yeah. I would say too, it, I'm hearing you say that it's in the eye of the, the client is what matters mm -hmm. in this. And so like, if you feel violated in any way, shape or form, whether or not other people that you talk to afterwards, no, you're the expert on how you feel in right. therapy. So right, absolutely. that might be a little bit of me creeping in because I want to make sure that clients are experience and good stuff in therapy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 What do you think everybody should know about sex therapy? Hmm. Something everyone should know. I'm not sure that there is a particular thing everyone should know. Like we, we've hit the big pieces that sex therapy is talk therapy. It is about educating and empowering our clients to find their pleasure. And we have to really embody safety because sex is a space that is often harmful to others. And so all of that feels really important to me. Um, but I feel like we've covered it unless y'all want me to go more into depth into one of those points. Maybe we should have hit that question earlier on. Because <laughs> yeah. we did hit a lot of those uh, key concepts it, it feels like around mm -hmm. this type of therapy and, and what it can do for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to have it all summarized. So there it yes. is. Summarized. <laughs> there you go. If you only want to listen to that minute of the podcast, you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, on the flip side, what would you say are some common misconceptions of sex therapy? Mm -hmm. So some of the big ones are clients soliciting a sex therapist for sex, thinking that we are sex workers and not therapists, um, which no shade on sex workers. Sex work is a wonderful profession where you can have a really good life and take care of yourself and take care of your clients. But that is not what sex therapy is. Sex therapy is a professional experience of talking to another person in order to really like work on your internal shame, to work on your internalized ideas about what sex is supposed to be versus what it actually is. And, and yeah, so that, that's one of the big ones I often hear is people thinking that it's sex work when it's not. Mm. Some other things would be, um, let's see. I think one of the big ones that I find like a common misconception is that people believe I'm going to say like, have more sex. That's the best thing to do. <laughs> and I will be totally honest. I am a fan of sex. I'm super passionate about it. I think it is a great thing to do. I think it is actually really positive for our body and mind to have pleasant, pleasurable sexual experiences. However, more sex is not always the answer. Right. For some people, less sex is the answer. Even in like a couple where there's desire discrepancy, the person who is less interested in sex, their need for a little bit less is really valid. And it might be that I'm helping a couple to find a way for one of them to feel really loved still and happy in a relationship where they do not get all the sex that they want. And where the person who is a little bit less interested feels loved and content even as they're pushing themselves and stretching themselves to have a little bit more sex than what they would choose to have. And so that's another common misconception is that I will immediately be on the side of the person who wants to have more sex. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that not being, I could see having any agenda not being great if, if you're doing sex therapy and I feel like your right. therapist has an agenda. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Are there any like tips or resources that you recommend often? That um, I love the book, Come As You Are. That's Emily yeah. Nagoski. It is one of my favorite books about sexuality. It's so fabulous. I really love Doug Braun Harvey's work. He has six sexual principles that I think every single person should know. Every human who's alive in this world should know the six sexual health principles, which I actually might just list them for y'all if that's okay, if we've got time. Yeah, yeah. well, awesome. okay. So those, you can find them on his website. He's got them really, really like obvious on the website, Doug Braun Harvey. And I can't remember what his institute is called right now, but you can search his name and find it. But the six mm -hmm. sexual principles are consent, making sure that you have consent in all parties, not just, uh, yeah, I, I feel fine about this, but enthusiastic consent where the person's like, yes, I actually really want to do this thing with you right now. Non-exploitation. So if there's a power dynamic where one person has less power in the relationship, they cannot actually give consent. It is not possible. So I'm thinking about relationships of like a Boston employee or a teacher and a student 
or um, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but a few years ago, there was that comedian, Louis C.K. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote a beautiful letter about how he used his power really in a way that was not appropriate. These people felt as though they could not say no to doing things sexually with him because he was in a higher power dynamic. Mm-hmm. So that's exploitation. There's a really good show uh, called The Morning Show on, uh, I think, Apple Plus that goes into that uh, pretty well, too, if you're looking for a show. I don't know if either of you have seen it. Mm-hmm. I haven't, but I'll check it out. Yeah. So those are the first two, consent, non-exploitation. Both of those really deal with are our, our all parties truly wanting to have this experience and do they have the ability to say no? And then next would be protection from STIs, STDs, and unwanted pregnancy. So all of the things we need to to do in order to protect our bodies. Mm -hmm. Next would be honesty. And this is honesty with yourself and honesty with others. So it could look like, am I being honest with myself about what I truly want in sex? And am I telling my partners what I really desire? Am I also telling my partners about STDs that I have, about whether or not I'm in a non-monogamous relationship? Like, am I being really open and honest about all the aspects of sexuality in myself and with others? Shared values is the fifth one. And this is all about what does sex mean to you? And does it line up for us? So if I'm a person where like sex to me means that I'm deeply in love with you, I'm truly committed and I want to spend my life with you, but you're the sort of person where it's like sex every Tuesday with a new person. Yeah. (laughs) Then our values don't actually line up and we are probably not going to have a great experience together. Okay, so the next one is shared values. This is the fifth principle. And shared values is all about, are we thinking about sex in similar ways? And an example of this might be, say one partner, whenever they have sex, what it means to them is, I'm deeply in love, I'm really committed to you, I'm hoping to spend the rest of my life with you. And the person they're having sex with in their mind, what sex means is like, yay, it's a Tuesday. Cool. <laughs> New partner every, every other week. And those people, they do not have shared values. They are going to have a hard time having a sexual encounter that really leaves both feeling happy and alive and turned on and really positive about the experience. The last one The sixth one, which this is the balance to all the others. The first five are really about safety. And this one is all about pleasure and it is mutual pleasure. Being sure that all parties involved are enjoying the sexual experience. Mm. Not something we're necessarily taught growing up. Nope, definitely not. Definitely not. And I love the way that Doug Ron Harvey talks about these things because he really does call them principles. They are ideals 
that we find what works best for us within that ideal. So my experience of navigating shared values is going to look different than either one of y'all's. Right. The only thing that is like, well, even that, even consent is a little bit of a gray area because we have different ages of consent in different states, different countries, different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so even that is not like cut and dry, here's how it is. And so when we look at it as a principle, we're just trying to align as closely to like the highest standard we see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I could see how the values thing could get in the way as far as like toxic dating, like I can save this person or I can change them when your sexual values are very different. Right. And right. that can lead to, to relational issues. To, yeah, it can lead to huge disappointment and frustration on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like both people leave that encounter feeling like, well, dang, that was difficult and unpleasant and maybe not worth it. Right. Yeah. I did look this person up while you were talking about um, his stuff and it's, is it the Harvey Institute? That's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a Braun, Doug Braun Harvey, Mm -hmm. B-R-A-U-N for anyone typing it into Google at the moment. I initially put B-R-O-N and sports things came up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the last thing we were going to ask was like key concepts around like a healthy sex life, but it feels like those six principles kind of speak into that. Yeah. Is there anything you would add to that? So the six principles, um, it is one of the first things I teach all clients Mm -hmm. if they come to me for a sexual concern. And it's a great way just to kind of like begin inventorying how, how am I relating to my sexuality? And do I really feel as though I am taking care of myself and taking care of my partners? Because that's all we can do in sex, right? Like it's so important that we take care of ourselves and take care of others. So this thing that is meant to be pleasurable can be rather than harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that the other resources or concepts that I really like Emily Nagoski's book is amazing. If I was going to summarize her book in just a couple of words, it would be, you are normal. If you are alive and breathing and you have a sexual interest and you are telling yourself that it's abnormal and strange, I can tell you that it is normal to be having really almost any sexual desire. Like there isn't anything outside of what is normal. There are things that we should not do because it could hurt someone, but even that kind of like fantasy space is normal and makes sense. Mm. Um, so you said her, is if you have sexual drive, you're normal, but what, what is her comment on like people who are asexual? Even that, yeah, that is absolutely normal. If you have any kind of relationship with sex and you are telling yourself there's something wrong with me, challenge that voice Yeah, because it is, not true. It really is not true. There's so much variety in what human beings enjoy from like, I never, ever, ever want to have intercourse or have anyone touch my body in a way that is sexual. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. All the way to like, I would love to have sex with multiple partners as often as possible. Like 
everything in that range makes sense, is normal. You can even find people who are similar and have an amazing life with them. It really just requires beginning to explore what's true for you and making that clear inside yourself and to others. So this is that honesty piece. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me also think like if you grow up in a space with some time, some type of cultural norm that you don't have to follow it. Right. Um, you know, right. we, with us being in Austin, like talking about things like the kink community and um, being very out and proud as an LGBT person, things like that are very normal in Austin culture. Um, but that's not across the board. And there right. could be something in your sexual identity that you're want that is making you feel not normal because of those around you. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to sleep around, but everyone's around me getting, is getting married at 18, you know, right. even just things like that. Like it's doesn't mean that you're not normal and it doesn't mean that you're broken or your duct tape's not working. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Oh Absolutely. My God. <laughs> uh, yes. I and love I think- her writing style too. Like, Oh my God. Yes. She's, she's so funny. So- She's so funny. And I, I don't know if she did this. She did this in this other book that she wrote called Burnout, where she summarizes her own chapters, like does like a TLDR at the end of every Mm -hmm. chapter. Does she do that in Come As You Are as well? I have not read it in so long. I don't remember. Yeah. But it sounds like something she would do. She's a researcher at heart. And so the idea of like, here's all the info. Now let me summarize it. So you've got it bite size, just fits with who she is. So probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, her books are just so easy to read. Highly recommend yeah. Uh, yeah. if you're looking for a book. She's so great. Um, awesome. I thought of one more thing that feels important in sex therapy. Talking to people about the fact that sex is supposed to feel good. And if it's not feeling good to you, then something probably needs to shift. And it could be the way you're having sex. It could be the way you're thinking about it. It could be a full shift where maybe maybe sex is not your thing and something else would be really pleasurable for you. Mm. So talking to people about that, because it is actually really surprising to some people like, oh, right. The purpose of this is actually to enjoy it. Like our bodies are built to enjoy it. Sex should be like, a delicious food that you really, really want. And if it's not, then something needs to change Mm -hmm. so that you are enjoying it. Thank you so much for coming uh, to talk with us today. I'm so excited. I also really loved having you as a guest. I mean, just because you're a wonderful person, but also because I felt like I got to sit back and just hear what you had to say, which is so much fun. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I hated it was, it was having you as a guest. Let it out. In part two, Jamie Lynn and I get in a fight. <laughs> um, yeah, for uh, those who are listening, because we don't put our podcast in any type of visual form, Jamie Lynn is also just a very beautiful human. So. Yeah. <laughs> watching her talk about beauty and pleasure in the world is just fabulous so be sure to (laughs) check out her youtube channel practice intimacy and uh you could also sign up for her email list or you'll get emails to let you know when the new episodes are coming out 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you've also got, you've got a lot of wonderful things you are currently working on and you plan to work on anything that you want to share on this episode. Yeah, I would love to. So there's two projects that I am so in love with. One of them is available right now. I did a boundaries training with a colleague of mine named Jules Shore and boundaries are essential to having a wonderful sex life. And we didn't necessarily go into the sex part during this course. We had talked about it in other courses together, but really we just did like a deep dive into how to solidify your boundaries. And there are four different kinds. There's the physical boundary, there's the psychological boundary, the containing and executed. And so we really teach practices to help you become a pro at all these different kinds of boundaries so that you can live your best life and a more peaceful life. And mm-hmm. so that one's available on my website. You can found, find it under the name Boundaries Create Your Peace. And then the other course that I am currently launching is my intimacy course, where I help people really begin to build practices in their life to become their most intimate self. Well, that sounds lovely. If you feel drained in your relationships or you feel isolated in your relationships, you might want to check out the boundaries course because a lot of times that is some form of unhealthy boundaries and that plays such a role, like you said, not only in sex, but in relationship and not only in romantic relationship, in all relationships. So true. I think it's the number one skill that we all need to learn is boundaries, healthy boundaries. Absolutely. Uh, I love it so much. I actually got to attend part of uh, Jules and Jamie Lynn's uh, workshop on boundaries and just a snippet. My favorite piece was, I think it was something that Jules said, but I might be misquoting um, around resentment and boundaries. And she said, Mm -hmm. anytime that you're experiencing resentment, that means that potentially a boundary should have been created. And that really just sat with me. And right. I mean, so much of like, I have pages of notes from that one hour that we sent together. So highly recommend that boundaries training as well. Yes. And I, we can both attest to how hard Jamie Lynn has worked on that. And um, yeah. she and Jules both have put a lot of energy and knowledge and thought and, and time into creating this course. Mm-hmm. So definitely check it out. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again for coming. And if you ever want to ask us questions about sex therapy, please message us at askthoughtsontherapy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, concerns, thoughts. Put it all in the email. Yes, we do not promise to know everything, but we promise to try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jamie, thank you. Thank you both so much. This was wonderful. All right. Well, we will see y'all in the next episode. It will sadly be just the two of us and we will all collectively grieve Jamie Lynn's not being there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See y'all in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye.